0: See if you can guess what this is.
1: (laughs) Pull your pants back up.
0: So childish. So you got a new toy how's it how's your prison working out your new resin printer
1: oh it's it's sweet <laughs> it's 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 so nice that i'm i'm astonished by the quality of the resolution it's making such little little pieces the the resolution and the detail
0: yeah is crazy and it has some kind of exposure things so that it, it it's quicker to do each layer yeah you can, you can yeah
1: you can um you can adjust it, to do exposures—you know, short exposures, long exposures—all you can do all that in the in the slicing software.
0: Mm. Uh, but, for, but I you didn't know, know if for, your printer had a different kind of light that it could afford to do in two seconds what mine does in eight seconds or something. Do you know what I mean, because you were saying and maybe that the, it's an LED it's light.
1: Quite... It's it's LED, so it's yeah. it's a it's a DLP printer and works pretty well. I mean, I I've actually been for post curing instead of having a a uv chamber which you know is another four or five hundred bucks to have something like that i've got one of these handheld it's a pretty high high power uvc lamp for disinfecting stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: that i have i've i've just been post curing it by shining my my uvc light on it and right. it, it sets that stuff up in in seconds
0: i you you stick it in a box with some tin foil or something and just let it do its thing
1: yeah it
0: just boom it's it's cured well that's neat so you mentioned before because it's not something i've ever done but you mentioned before that that you can get inhibition issues with the resin if you're molding in platinum silicons with that stuff
1: yeah i've had i've had some minor um issues i haven't tried anything yet with the resin stuff but with uh the pla Mm. i've noticed some some inhibit mild inhibition but it's nothing that uh you know a nice spritz with Inhibit-X will take care of.
0: Oh, okay. And I was wondered if you use, because I know there was, you could spray something with lacquer, but obviously if you've got very, very tight detail, you don't want to be filling no. the details with, with any kind of sealer or anything.
1: And you can force cure the silicone with, with Inhibit-X real easily. Mm.
0: Oh, okay, because I, I understood it, obviously I've used it before, like on a surface that I suspect or know to be dodgy, like, a fresh fiberglass mold for example right i will use inhibit x on it when i'm about to pour up my platinum silicones and then you know it almost never goes uh, never retards afterwards and that's great yeah. there's no inhibition no, i've
1: i've done it in in molds that i've run foam latex in
0: that and, I still, to, and it still it works worked. yeah that's how good inhibit x is yeah that's impressive <laughs> you can't really test that's a pretty severe test yeah it is uh so Well, because I wondered, like, because we obviously, um, it's interesting, like for me, the whole 3D printing thing is good, but I'm looking to make things in other materials that I, that are much more durable. And so the idea of molding prints is, is pretty entry level kind of thinking for me because Mm -hmm. like you and I, we would have sculpted something and then mold it to have a printer print something, uh, is a joy and then you just you know you may need to mold it in something um and i thought it might be quite nice to talk a little bit about the molding of prints and stuff it's not something i've done a huge amount of with platinum silicons though and that's why i'm a bit dubious i might have to try some with um my prints because I'm, I'm molding something at the moment and i've i sprayed it with with uh filler primer because i wanted a smooth finish and i sanded it and sprayed it so it's kind of protected from the actual resin yeah. itself
1: well i've done it with um you know some of the little tool holders that i've that i've printed you know, I'll go into you know Fusion 360, and all for for little dram cup holders or brush holders mm-hmm. that I'm going to then mold in silicone and cast out in resin or in silicone. That's where I've experienced the the slight inhibition problems, but the the Polymaker Polymax PLA, I don't seem to have any problems with that stuff, and that's. Mm. that filaments the shit i absolutely love the, the polymaker yes. polymax
0: i got some uh some some polymax and it's it's very exciting i also started drooling at uh, some direct drive um filament feeds that you can put at the hot end i'm like oh i can't i can't afford to keep doing this but it's just like oh my god these things are amazing anyway yeah. we're, we're slowly drifting into a bloody 3d printing podcast which i don't want to do um but, um, yeah, it's just not something I've really uh, considered. But it would be quite nice to do an article about that, maybe for the Prosthetics magazine or a little bit, or something about molding sure. and 3D prints and stuff. Um, but, yeah. Um, and also uh, acrylic polymer and molds. There was an interesting uh, question on the 911 where someone was asking about running foam latex in some acrylic one molds. And acrylic one is kind of similar to jesmonite. It's a acrylic polymer that you mix with a, a stone. And then it gives you a nice kind of oh, like, like like like
1: like the Forton uh, MG.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. And they all sort of belong to that kind of like much safer material. I think colleges would like them because there's no fumes and all that kind of stuff. You could wash the brushes out in water, so it's just much nicer to use. I don't know if you've ever run foam in a Forton mold. I
1: see. have not, but I don't see why it wouldn't work. I mean, if you can, if you can run it in fiberglass and epoxy molds, you should be able mm-hmm. to to do it in in a four mold or or the one that you mentioned mm. it just makes sense one of the things about the four ton is you've got to be pretty precise with your mixtures because you have so many different components you have to mix together all oh, right it's it's, it's a, not something a little i've done it's a little bit of a of a pain
0: okay because um, the standard Jesmonite i think is two and a half parts powder to one part water and i think acrylic one is two to one I think
1: Forton's got three components. It's got the stone, okay. then a liquid, um, you know, a liquid polymer, and then then a powder that you have to mix in with it. Right. And I've I've gone to Home Depot and because you know, they have this acrylic fortifier stuff that that you can buy. It's over where you buy cement and concrete, and yeah. uh, you can just mix mix that in. If you're doing 50-50 water in this acrylic fortifier, you can mm. just mix that in with your stone and then you're going to get a, a stronger stone once it's cured, and especially if you lay plastic over it before it sets up so that as it heats up, it traps the moisture in there. It's going to yes. just, make it, it's going to make it much stronger.
0: Now I'm trying to think what it was. There was a, there was an old a Fangoria magazine. I've still got it somewhere. And they had a Acryl 60. That was it. A tin mm-hmm. of Acryl 60. And they mentioned yeah. the this acrylic fortifiers.
1: It's, it's the same stuff.
0: So it sounds like a very, very similar thing. And I did find an article. There was a guy that had done some comparison tests and he found some kind of, um, it was an acrylic compound that he got from somewhere and it was like the cheapest he did like a sample set with different things and he found this to be um, very similar and it but it's interesting when you start making molds that you're going to bake then the molds have to perform whereas if you're making like a stacked object that you're just putting on the wall or something it's not really a big deal but something that actually has to go into an oven and then you've got to stress the mold to open it or you may have to bolt it Obviously, then suddenly these higher grade materials that might cost more, you kind of go, well, they're still less expensive than epoxy resins or, right. or you know, and less smelly than fiberglass. So it might be worth paying a little bit extra to have, you know, you don't know, burn through gloves and you don't need masks and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that would work out well, but it was an interesting point. And I mentioned that we'd run foam in them years ago at Neil's at Millennium, years and years ago, uh, probably about 20 years ago. And I remember we ran foam in it, but I wasn't very impressed with it, partly because you couldn't see through it. Mm -hmm. And I was so used to using translucent fiberglass, you know, where you could see through it. Um, Looking back, I don't really think that's a big deal because now we use so many epoxy resin molds, that's somewhere anyway. But also, I'd noticed that the edges had crumbled. The cutting edge had been crushed down. But I think a lot of that's to do with the way we made the molds. And it may be that because we were using a new material, we just mixed it incorrectly. I completely accept user Could error be. in this point. But it might also be that, A, I think we may have been baking them too hot. But also, because they were thin molds. That was even. probably
1: back in the days when 185 degrees Fahrenheit was the, the standard. And now I... Right. Like, and yeah cuz cuz then you don't have to keep it in the oven quite as long but you're you've got a much much narrower window for completely fucking the the foam up
0: yeah maybe at a, at a higher temperature be. well we did celsius it would have been 100 which i think is the the top end that you would bake foam at anyway so i'd be tempted to just lower the oven temperature even to maybe 75 80 whatever that yeah. would be in fahrenheit but so it would take longer, but it, it's less of a, you know, a stress in the in model. But also,
1: if you're not yeah. in a hurry with foam latex, you know, it, as long as it gels, it'll eventually cure on its own. You don't have to. Yeah, true. It'll, it'll cure at room temperature. Um, yeah. If you're willing to wait for a month or
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're actually filming next week. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, I, but yeah.
1: I cured, I was doing a, doing a, Class at, at the engineer guy in Atlanta a few years ago, and I actually cooked a foam foam latex mold in the back of a pickup truck in the parking lot.
0: <laughs> I bet that was in a, nice in a, in a, in a, yeah, in a nice yeah. Georgia summer. Nice, yeah. Well, that would work. Um, wow. Certainly saves on uh, Foal, electricity. Turned out
1: great. It was nice mm-hmm. and soft.
0: Well, there you go. It work. So, yeah, I guess if we if we'd had it on a lower temperature. But also, we'd made our molds in such a way where they, we were replicating the same thing we'd do with fiberglass, I'd using it as a straight fiberglass substitute. So it was l- laminated in, you know, two or three layers of glass. So I suspect the molds probably weren't strong enough. I'd probably do them more like a kind of a block mold, uh-huh. you know, where they were much, much thicker with extra layers of glass and maybe strap them together rather than bolt them because I think the bolts probably put a lot of stress on very individual spots so it yeah. could be the way that I'd used it that made it fail rather than it was the fault of the material it was probably more my fault but it'd be quite nice to try that again but I'd like to do a test with some silicon pieces I might do that on the next uh, makeup plan I've got but I, I'm, I love the epoxy so much but I want to try and start using more humane materials especially when we do like college demos and things because then right. they can get into the habit of doing the same processes but a the materials are much safer but b also they're a lot less expensive as well especially if you're only doing one or two runs for an assessment or something you don't need yeah. to well, make rob, something freitas,
1: rob freitas posted on instagram yesterday um it was a big picture of, of a bowl of potter's plaster with the you know the dry lake bed effect into it too. he was still well, that water, picture yeah the water all soak in and
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know yeah.
1: pottery plaster has yeah. been around for many many years mm-hmm. and you know sometimes the old the old ways are the best way sometimes you know, yeah, nothing, no, wrong that with, nothing wrong with making big molds out of at a stone no it if it work. works
0: it works and um, it's certainly and it, a whole lot less expensive yeah and it's a shame if the first mold you ever make is with epoxy because it you really kind of jump in the gun really aren't you You're missing out mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff yeah you need um, to learn all
1: the all the all the ways because there's there's no one set way to do anything as as you, yeah. we've talked about you know there's there's a half dozen ways to do everything
0: mm-hmm. and least. it's combining those things as well like you were saying about before about using an epoxy gel coat and then backing it up with, a, you know, a hard plaster. Yeah, um, that's a great idea because then it's the best of both worlds. Um, and I was wondering if I could do that with Jesmonite. I could get like the release qualities of the surface of an epoxy gel coat, I and then back it with with uh, with Jesmonite, um, or or you know the 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 if there are any thick deep areas. Although Jesmonite is pretty good, but it's quite heavy by comparison. So you can maybe do some deep areas with the um the freeform air and then once you've kind of made a smoother surface you could then go in with the the jesmonite because the jesmonite has a kind of a I think they call it quad-axial glass it's like big gaps in the glass yeah. and mm-hmm. um it, it it lays down nice like the 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 mesh you get for um uh, epoxy resin yeah and so if, if if you're well. in
1: doubt of about whether the Jesmonite's going to bond to the epoxy or not you could always lay in some some rough chopped glass or some some burlap or some kind of fibers into mm. the top layer of the gel coat before it's completely set up without damaging the surface area mm. Mm. to give the stone something to grab onto
0: yes yeah, so you got a nice for, mechanical.
1: Ex, for extra hold
0: yes yeah, nice mechanical yeah. bond oh that's good because the thing about jasmine as well which i like you you have a couple of additives you can add you can add a retarder to it you can add a thickener which is quite nice Mm -hmm. Um, because its natural state is quite fluid so it's quite nice for pores and things as well but if it's too thick you do get air bubbles so doing like block casts and stuff is a bit rough but again i guess you just do the gel coat with a brush like you would epoxy um, because that way you can um, you know make sure you touch down the surface but it's lovely that you can wash your brushes in water
1: well, the same company that makes the the acrylic fortifier that I I haven't bought it for a while, but that I get at Home Depot, there's also a cement. I mean, a glue that you can get, so you can mix that in with the water, and that will help ensure that if you're adding to a stone on you know new stone onto something that's been cured for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can that the glue will help make sure that it doesn't delaminate.
0: Amazing, and then yeah, and if that's got in it, if that then gets chipped because that's already in the plaster, then it will be much more responsive at holding on to repairs and stuff. Like if you've got clamps or something that broke an edge, interesting. Well, that's cool. And, um, one other thing I noticed on the forum today someone mentioned super baldies in a spray can. Now, super baldies is a unique animal. Well, I mean, I think the spray cans, in all fairness, I think it was just, a, 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 they tried something out and it I don't think it worked, but there's still lots of cans out there. So. <laughs> um, I mean, it does work in the sense that stuff does come out the, the nozzle, but I, it, nothing <laughs> like as good as it does with an airbrush. And right. you can't clean it out like you can clean an airbrush. I think the nozzle gets blocked. I don't know if you've seen any of that, but it just comes out of, like silly oh, strings. <laughs> well, the nozzle,
1: yeah, the nozzle on my... Um... 3m 77 spray adhesive that i i like to use inside my epoxy molds when i'm running foam latex i'll just do a a light dusting of the 77 to make sure that there's no skin pull away during the baking process right and there's no no residue it doesn't you don't that glue just kind of bakes away
0: right yeah, but those, nozzles,
1: those nozzles will get clogged up and I'll just get, yeah, like you said, it's like a silly string. I'll go to spray just it. And it. Just, it's this is boom, stream. Yeah. It's a Spider-Man <laughs> thing yeah. right, right into the mold. It's like, fuck.
0: So I guess you just got to remember if you do use it, anything like that to spray it into a paper towel or something or, or, or a bin or something first, just to check it is coming out rather than find out all too late that it just shoots a big <laughs> pool of it. Because obviously the dream is that you spray a fine mist. And you mentioned ages ago about the Preval sprayers, the Preval sprayers. Yeah, those work. The R-E-V-A-L. And you combine them as a container and, um, you know, replacement gas cans. And it basically turns any liquid into an aerosol spray, which is really handy. And that's probably the best way to go. We do have them here, but they're not as popular. They don't seem to be, I mean, you can find them. You have to dig around to find them. They're not as, as common. They work really well. They do work really well, but I still think you, they do work well actually, but in compared to the spray can, I think you, you get such a a much better result with, you know, just a spray can, Uh, sorry, a much better result with an airbrush airbrush, because because you can clean the airbrush, you can adjust it. And also it's just, that's what an airbrush is designed for. You know, it's it's designed to spray things specifically, whereas the can will kind of work, but the trouble is the thing that comes through the nozzle is something that dries and evaporates and, and clogs it in a way that, you know most things in a can don't so yeah um yeah it's not ideal you would think like spray cans work all the time so it should be fine but not the case with this stuff anyway so there we go so that's my my tuppence on that uh so uh, this our guest this time is uh, oh, such a
1: nice guy
0: it's a really nice chat and i'm really i feel terrible about this because we recorded it over a year ago and it's just one of those things that I kind of forgot about and had other things come in. And well, this last year has been quite busy. So <laughs> there's been yeah. quite a few distractions, but um, I did apologize profusely. It wasn't the, I, we recorded it and I hated it. And that's why I didn't record release it. It was just other things got in and we did. other. Things oh, it's and- really
1: good. I, I listened to it yesterday and, and upon listening to it, I realized I really know very little. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I kind of felt a little bit like that after I listened to it because it's one of the things when I I hadn't listened to it at all since we recorded it, and listening back to it, I was like, "This is a really good chat." I had a great time listening to it, and then it was a joy to edit. It was very little editing to do, mostly yes, sounds very and checking, Recording stuff. But, I love uh,
1: listening to our own podcasts and learning lots of things.
0: <laughs> well but that is one of the selfish reasons i thought you know podcast is nice because you get to speak to people about stuff you can tax them about things and find out get free information but um oh, but no brian nothing. is a
1: is a wealth of knowledge my god yeah
0: yeah so interesting and he has a nice angle that he's from the states and has lived there but also lives over here and you know so he has a nice you know, English and American kind of take uh-huh. on things, which is quite lovely, which is why I like these conversations that we have where we'll compare things and you'll mention things that I don't have here or, you know, and, and you, you can kind of see, oh, okay, this is what we, we would call that here, something else. Then you can kind of drill down and find out what these things are called. But, but yeah, this is a good example of the, uh, one of those chats, which is like a joy to do and hopefully be interesting to you guys too. So I guess, uh, yeah, we'll I'll, I'll put that on now. You can listen to
1: the one and only Brian Kinney.
0: I Pretty don't think sad. I was
2: here at the time. But it was to go to his house. I don't know if you ever got to see it, but he literally had a labyrinth of garden sheds. It was like Esher. All these somewhere and, in Easter. It was in Easter, yeah. yeah. But he had Christopher Reeves' wigs and Ewoks and the singing horse from Top Secret and all these things were just <sighs> in the sheds. And, you know, I was so inspired by that. Like, here's his nice house we're having tea and then let's step into the garden here's film history here's Chewbacca teeth and Yoda's cane and you know my mind is blown yeah I never in a million years imagine one day I'd live 13 miles away from him and have sheds in the garden with all my uh all my you know, that's kind of what, that's what so, I just you stuff know, so and then do. and then you're a stone's throw from there so here we are and uh you know outside London in the country and uh carrying on the, the freeborn legacy you know that that sort of uh, mentality here I love that
0: it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because I think the thing is over here particularly as well, you've got... Space has always been at a premium. I mean, it costs a lot because there isn't much of it. Like in the States, you have... Not so much now, but you have like those big workshop areas because you can you can afford to build outwards uh, because there's a the space to do so. Depends where you are, obviously. But here, there isn't really anywhere like that. So you get a lot more of these little pockets of things and you'll see like, you know, people being tailors in their house or whatever and all these little cottage industries. And it's quite nice. And it's weird to think... That stuff that would happen here but it does
2: <laughs> you know in the states you'd have a it's all about the garage what's a what's a guy doing in the garage you're building a car or, or a rocket or something and here it's all about the sheds so I didn't really understand the shed culture until I moved here and you know who's got the fancier shed and how many sheds can you fit in the garden and it just takes the place of the garage but now I get it now, I, now I'm very happy to have sheds, yeah. sheds where I you know, go out and the magic happens in there
0: yeah, I, well, I think the, shed, the thing about a shed is it's it's less of a commitment constructionally, if that's a word. But also you don't really need like plan permission to build it because it's not a permanent structure. Yeah. Um, and also, I think depending on where you live, that a lot of houses were built before the car was around. So they didn't incorporate a garage or a drive because no one needed them. <laughs> so you end up with, we don't have garages in quite the same way. But yeah, no, it's just the nature of uh, that. The country full of like potting sheds and greenhouses and sheds. It's tragic, but kind of fun. I love it. I love it. So, how you doing, Brian? Good. Good. Just uh, still recovering from Christmas. I've eaten too much. Yeah, I know. It's been a few days since Christmas, and it's like the chocolates are still there, and you know, yeah, too much stuff. My wife
2: tried to keep a tally. She said, "How many mince pies have you had this month?" And I, I really didn't want to answer that.
0: Didn't yeah. want to think about it. I don't it know. Happens. Too many. <laughs> So I wanted to chat to you about um, various affecty things, um, and I, when I messaged you and I, I spoke to you about um, what I associate different people with and what they do, and with you, um, it, it's largely to do with uh, how I how I pigeonhole you in my head as a very courteous and uh, polite professional kind of attitude, and I wanted to sort of talk about what happens when a lot of people make stuff themselves and their you know their little workshops and they make things and then there's a point at which you start sticking it on and then you're dealing with another person and up to that point a lot of it can be just you by yourself sculpting in a head cast or whatever and then you've got this object you're now putting onto a person and then it sort of gets delivered into this other environment Um, and with the set it's kind of like an animal you know it's like there's there's different parts of this animal and uh, it's a different thing and I thought it'd be interesting to, to chat about how it how how it how it works on set when you're working with something that perhaps you've made, and now you're applying it, and now it kind of takes on a life of its own, and it's like looking after these things and maintaining it and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't think it's something that people necessarily learn about at makeup school, because they learn about the technique of doing it, but then you stick it on an actor who perhaps doesn't like you or doesn't want to get up at three in the morning to put this thing on, or they kind of scratch themselves on the face like this, to, and then they ruin the piece. And you're like, oh, and you've got to maintain it, so. That would be a good sort of, I think, a subject to talk about, like, like dealing with stuff on set, managing makeups, looking after them and, and trying to be nice the whole way through. Because <laughs> at the same time, you know, you're on show and you want people to be like, you know, to hire you again, because although you may work 15 hours at a stretch. You, you <laughs> very, very true. Um, I, I think it's
2: something that uh, it definitely takes time to navigate but yeah. I, I like to think that I, I figured that out. And I, I knew I could navigate that world early on. And I knew it's the world I wanted to be in. Yeah. Because um, when I started, I you know, I, I was in um, doing a lot of workshop stuff. And I'd be in the warehouse where you're not necessarily touching anything living and breathing. You're, you're, you're sculpting. You're, you're, you're molding. You're, um, you know, maybe doing flicks of paint for a day or, or uh, slush casting latex. And, um, you know... I think a lot of it comes, you, you really have to read the room. You're going to encounter different personalities, different conditions. You might have a, a luxurious 15-station trailer in Hawaii, and, um, and it's a very comfortable setting. Or you might be in a Russian military tent in Iceland, and you know, 10 degrees below zero, and the same job has to be done. You, you have to create this character. You have to see whatever you've made as you said you come to life um take on a life of its own Mm -hmm. going on an actor's face Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's it's navigating all these different personalities and um uh and knowing the tone you really have to um i think you have to blend into you, you have to become part of the machine that's happening around you yeah um and a lot of that is um i think sort of knowing different responsibilities get delegated um if you for instance if you come on a lot of shows as a day player um maybe you're not familiar with the system but you you know the the thing is to to look around adapt be helpful learn as much as you can about the process that's expected in that
0: environment and um yeah finding your yeah i think your footing is sort of slotting into that existing machine isn't it and uh, I think when you, um, and particularly, you know, every production will have a, you know, its own unique flavor because that particular group of people have been working together. But this is the thing I find quite odd about prosthetics is that you will, and not necessarily with straight makeup or day playing, but with prosthetics, I might be on a show for, for weeks or months and then I'll go on set. And I've been on the show for some time, but no one's seen me yet you know, because it was in a workshop in the middle of nowhere. And now we're in this location and everyone's doing their thing and they're all strapped up in North Face gear on set and they're, you know, doing their thing. And you kind of feel like, you know, you know what you've been doing. And suddenly now these things you've made, you're putting onto somebody and it fits into this environment. And then you're working with people you've never met before, but they're going to talk to you in a certain way because their job is to do this and they're directing whatever and fit it in. And it's quite difficult at first, which is why I think, you know, you won't most people don't find themselves in a very senior position when they first start because you need to be distance enough from it, don't you? To, to observe without fucking something up royally, uh, but also close enough to feel the heat so that you do have some responsibilities and then, you know, gradually ease in. But for prosthetics, there's so much that happens before the set thing. It, that's why I wanted to kind of focus more on that because most people think about what happens in the workshop, but it's like what happens after that. Yeah. Because that's the bit where you could do all this great work and then you completely fuck it up on set by turning up late or smelling bad or, or not realizing that your actor doesn't like being poked around too much in the face. You know what I mean? There's, and you've got to kind of well, I need to do this, but yeah. at the same time, how can we, you know, work together so that you don't end up hating me because. Of Yeah. Well, and
2: I think I realized it was of no benefit to just be strictly prosthetic, strictly special effects makeup artist. You really have to learn makeup, um, understand it all as a craft. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something um, that can be sort of a shock to people. Um, I've known artists in the past. um, I mean, myself, when I started, if I walk into a trailer or a makeup room and my fingers are covered in packs and I'm wearing the black horror T-shirt and the kit's a mess that's not going to go over well when somebody sits in my chair they're thinking oh who is this um you know slob that's that's now going to touch my face do they know anything about um, hygiene and etiquette and so you have to maintain a certain level even though we're still working with glue and paint it has to be a little more refined once you're you're in that arena and and getting somebody ready for set Mm -hmm. so i think i think that just you know basic um packing your kit can be can be different than what you're used to in the workshop. Yeah, that was um, there's. I feel like there's a little more crossover when it comes to work in Europe, but in the States, at least, it's um, it's it's always been a little more separate. Um, the workshop from the on set work, mm-hmm. and that's that's because of the unions. Uh, it's it's changing more and more over time, but I really? feel like I feel like there's 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 more of a barrier and more of a transition that happens when you step out of the workshop and mm-hmm. and into the the application and set realm.
0: Yeah, I think over here because you don't have that same union thing, it, it tends to fall a lot on the on the people that run the shops to know their crew well enough to invite certain people on and or maybe not ask somebody on. Do you know what I mean? Because I've seen that where you kind of go, maybe it's not been addressed, but certain people maybe wholly unsuited to being on set. They just they're, they're great at what they do in the workshop, but they just they they, they won't go on over well, and there won't necessarily be a discussion about that. It's just you just wouldn't necessarily get asked. So it's quite good to make people aware of that there isn't a, a clear-cut designation but i guess that's like anything isn't it it's like finding somebody attractive or getting on well with somebody you don't say hey i'm really handsome and attractive and intelligent you should hang out with me it's like that's not for you to decide all you can do is try me the best you can and hope that somebody else picks up on it do you know what i mean you can't leave that yeah. so it's kind of like that with a lot of work it's like you know um i think a lot of it comes from and this is where uh, I, I i sort of mentioned it from like the makeup schools there's a lot of things you can learn technically but it's a case of doing that in the environment where you're working on somebody else around somebody else to their schedule and that's when it becomes different because it's now you're actually applying what you do in this environment and it's it it can catch a lot of people if they you know if they've done it once in makeup school or they've done it a couple of times they go well i can do this and it's like yeah but can you do it at three in the morning you know exactly and the actors perhaps didn't realize that they're character is going to be killed off and they're really pissed off today and so they you know can you still do that under those conditions <laughs> and, and that,
2: that's that's a huge uh, shock and transition at times as well because I've seen these incredibly articulate four to seven hour makeups done for a demo or just as a personal project and maybe there there have been test versions first so by the time it's photographed it, it's had all the time and money in the world suddenly you're having to do something of that caliber In an hour and a half if you're lucky maybe 45 minutes Mm -hmm. can you do the the efficient version can you can you get it done under the time frame and that might be one of four makeups you have to do that day and like you said it freezing conditions at two in the morning with a grumpy actor but the show must go on Mm -hmm. so can can you adapt Or if maybe you have uh, an hour and a half allocated for makeup and they're half an hour late and that makeup still has to be done. They still have to get to set on time. Yeah. You know, can you, uh, you know, pick your battles and hustle get your pieces on and and still get them painted
0: efficiently? Yeah. And also if, you know, if it wasn't your fault, it's tactfully addressing that without saying, well, they were late. You know what I mean? You can't do dump the you minute. You can't, yes. You know? So it's kind of like sort of schmoozing a little bit with a second ID maybe to try and, you know, massage yeah. some time and things. <laughs> and, 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 and showing no fear. You know, the last thing you want to do
2: is be a shaking, sweaty mess uh, in a panic and stressed about it. You just have to take a deep breath
0: mm. and just, just keep moving forward. Yeah. And also knowing um, where you sit in the scheme of things, because obviously if they come to you and make up first... It may be that they need to shave first or, you know, clean up or they've got moisturizer on which you need to clean up. And then you do your makeup and then you, like you say, say they turn up late. It's kind of like, well, I know I've got three hours. I could probably shave a half hour off, but it's going to be a bit tight. So maybe what I'll do is go speak to costume and let them know that I'm going to be a little bit late. So they've got time to prepare or something. Do you know what I mean? So you're thinking ahead of the curve so that they don't just say, well, you know, they come straight for makeup and they're late. They don't necessarily know the story of why they're late so it's kind of how can ultimately the, the job is they need to be on set on time what can i do and i guess if everyone thinks like that how can we all work together to try and massage these things together it might be shaved five minutes off there or they, then it all kind of lands as it should yep. nice and smooth without it being like yeah. you know just you doing your thing and not thinking what happens next and sometimes it's it's uh, you know you might uh
2: completely unscheduled have to jump in and help somebody else with their makeup if you see this situation has happened next to you and your makeup's finished or you have you know the the five minutes you were going to use to get coffee instead you jump in and you get the pieces down without stepping on anyone's toes like you're not necessarily putting your stamp on someone else's makeup but just the courtesy of can i pick up a brush and give you a hand so that the whole thing you know arrives on schedule Mm. Um, Mm. finding those moments is important too I think a That's lot about uh, the Game of Thrones experience because that was such an eye-opener. And that, and thinking um, specifically, I felt like the way Barry and Sarah ran their group just set the benchmark for me. Mm. I just thought if, if everything could be this organized and efficient and helpful and no weak links... Um, We'd all be better off. The industry would be better off. Yeah. So I felt spoilt on that level. You've you've been there. You
0: know exactly Absolutely. what like. Yeah. And under very, you know, under under difficult circumstances. And that's that's where. See, when I first worked with Barry, I was very nervous because uh, he and I started about the same time, and we both started working at the BBC Visual Effects, as it was called then. Um, so I've known him like, since he started. Um, we went to different colleges and everything, but we kind of had like parallel careers that ran in the same way. We'd bump into each other regularly on jobs and things. So when it came to sort of working for him, I was kind of nervous thinking, how would I feel about this? Like someone that I knew from scratch, you know, starting out at the same time, and now he's kind of like supervising. Would that feel weird? And it totally didn't. It's like having seen what he can do and how he does things, I know I can't do those things. So I'm like... But this, you know, the fact that he can means that I get work. And you realize that this is the thing about like supervising jobs that you need people who are like that, and they don't know they can do it until they're in that position. And it's kind of, wow, uh, that's amazing. And then, like, on on set on Game of Thrones, we in Ireland, and it's like, we're in a big marquee, and we had this massive, it was for Hard Home, the episode Hard Home, and it was just, like, it's huge amounts of uh, makeup. It must have been about, for at least three, four hour makeup. and so we were starting at 2 in the morning, 2.30, something like that. Um, and it was phenomenal and he organized everything and made sure everyone knew what they were doing and we set up the day before and very regimented not not fierce not angry not 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 like you know a, a desperately angry person venting and everyone was scared everyone did what they their best because they wanted to make it work because they liked the guy and it was like and he was working harder than anybody and you kind of go that's how you fucking run a shop that's how you do it that's how you organize stuff be better than everybody else but at the same time, you put better people in place and you let them get on with it and you, you trust them. And then, you know, sure, if somebody screws up, you come down on them. And the, but, but the fact that you were given the chance meant that people didn't. They just were desperate to do the best they could. And it was like, I'm the same. I'm like, I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be in that position. But you kind of go, fuck, that's how you do it. And then when you work someone that's not like that, you kind of go, oh, my God, you have no idea how far short you are falling of what <laughs> is possible. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the same thing. I mean, I was
2: there for uh, we called it the frozen lake sequence, but this was the end of not the forthcoming season, but the one before that. And again, it's uh, two in the morning, Belfast, Marquis probably 50 artists and i realized these are artists from at least 10 different countries and i'm the only american in the marquee i know that i'm i'm meant to be there but i'm i'm just wide-eyed learning as much as i can from the other artists and just just getting on with people and mm-hmm. i just thought this is this is such a unique dynamic this doesn't happen this mm-hmm. this isn't isn't normal i wish this was normal but there'll never be anything like quite like this again
0: yeah it was a special place
2: and i was I don't mean to embarrass him, but I'll mention uh, what a real turning point for me. It might have been my first or second day. At one point, Pat Fode was there, amazing artist, and uh, we'd only met shortly before that. But at one point, he came up to me and he said, Brian, have you tried these Japanese calligraphy squirrel tail brushes? They hold a lot of product. You can get a really nice line. Here, have this one. And I think I started tearing up because he not only shared a technique with the new guy, but he gave me the brush mm-hmm. and i think i was expecting a little bit more of like the like the old west like everybody you know a bunch of outlaws and yeah everybody's kind of don't 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 watch me do this magic trick you're going to steal my my um, method and it was completely the opposite it, it felt a little bit i'm sure pat wouldn't remember it the same way but for me it felt like a bit of an initiation like yeah. Yeah, welcome to the gang yeah and uh yeah it,
0: i still have that brush and I still carry that with me that still moment works. Yeah, (laughs) that's brilliant. But that's the thing; it's just like you know that you have that experience, and you kind of go, "God, that's how it should be." Um, And it isn't always, (laughs) but it's it's you know it's it was it's the way to do things, and it makes you realize just how good it can be. But you know, well, you could be um, the best sculptor, the best painter, top artist,
2: but you have to be able to fit in that room, and not everyone can. Mm -hmm. And I remember Barry said to me. I'd worked on my first job ever was band of brothers. i worked with Duncan Jarman and yeah. Duncan and I had uh, kind of gotten back in touch and he was instrumental when I, when I came to the UK, came back to the UK um, in getting me involved. And at one point Barry said to me towards the end of that season, he said he gets 200 CVs a day and you know, he doesn't have time to address all of them, but Duncan vouched for me and he said, um, you're here because you know, Duncan spoke highly of you. And he said, you don't have an ego and you're not a dick. That was it. That's what it took to be in that room. <laughs> that means a lot. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 took that as a compliment and, um, sometimes that's, that's what it is. Just keep your ego in check. Don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. And you'll be amazed at
0: how far you can get in this industry, how, how connected and, and how much, how much you'll enjoy it. It's interesting. Cause it, you sometimes get that with, um, not always, but like a lot of people will say, like, oh, do you find actors that are, you know, who's the most annoying actor you work with or something? And you kind of go, well, weirdly, I find the professional actors who are jobbing actors aren't dicks, typically. It tends to be supporting artists who it's their first gig and they think, or the second, you know, and they think that the way to get on is to sort of, Appear like they have this very high standards and that everything around them isn't meeting that standard. And it's like, no, because if you start out as a dick on day one, you don't have a day two because no one's looking for a fucking project. Do you know what I mean? With regards to anybody. So they want to have an easy time. And if you get on, you're pleasant to work and you can do your fantastic work. You still have to be good, but you have to do it with a smile on your face under those conditions. That goes a long way, and it's like that's really cool. And Duncan's a great guy, and he knows a thing or two about a thing I do. So he really, you know. he really does. I learned so much from him. Yeah, I, he's just just a lovely guy. So I, I, I really cherish getting to work with him. Yeah, I think that's the amazing thing is when you do work on projects, it's you know a lot of people think of like the 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 kudos of the project itself, but it's also getting to work and mix with other people, and they influence how you do things because you see things being done the way that you don't do, and like you say, nine times out of ten. Actually, most people will be quite happy to show you, and you go, "Oh, Christ, I never thought about that." And suddenly, you start it affects how you work, and you get better being around it because it rubs off on you. And Absolutely. Then, and then you feel, you know, keenly aware of like, like you want to do that for other people when you see someone struggling, and it, it's a lovely thing. It's a, it should be like that. <laughs> I know it isn't always, <laughs> but uh, but 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 it's a lovely feeling when that happens. And uh, but yeah, but it it's. Being on set, the rules suddenly change because then you're you're now in their world. It's the you know it's the big world where all this there's a lot of uh, things happen. I guess because of like time constraints, we have to get this many shots done. We've only got this location for a certain amount of time. We've hired very expensive lights and equipment and cameras and lenses, and they have to happen in this time. And that's the the drum that everyone's dancing to, and you have to be able to slot into that. And it becomes a different thing when suddenly you know you've got a director screaming at you, and it's like get it done
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah no um y- yeah you just have to adapt yeah um and uh you know for, for for some of the throne shoots obviously you know it's all about the um the night so you're uh, you're needing to to capture as much of the the daylight or or the, you know the opposite depending on the scene as you can and mm-hmm. um you're just up against it
0: I was talking a little bit about you, uh, obviously, coming from the States. So you're in the, the the 706, which is the union over there. Yes, local 706 Hollywood Makeup Artisan Hairstylist Guild. So can we talk a little bit about what that means? Because uh, obviously, this podcast we get listened to in all different places. But in England, particularly, we don't really have that kind of thing. But obviously, to do that, you have to become somebody that, that knows a lot of different things. But that feeds into what you're doing. So you when you're training and learning your stuff, you learn some hair work presumably and some make straight makeup. So, you know, all those kinds of different things And we talk a little bit about how, what you learned and mm-hmm. how you, it means you can do other things, not just prosthetics and how that works together. I think to make a character, because a lot of people get very bogged down in just the prosthetic stuff. And there's more to sure, sure. a complete character than just the rubber that they're wearing on their nose and you know how you can fuck up something or improve something by doing things other than the rubber. Yeah. Well, well I, I
2: I'll go back a bit I know um, I've met some wonderful sculptors that haven't necessarily sculpted anything they've done art pieces but they haven't done anything that's meant to be a prosthetic so having um, you know some knowledge of makeup I think is great for a sculptor so they know this can only be a certain thickness or a certain dimension in order to fit a face in order to, to be transferred from a block of clay to something that'll be worn to create the character um, and it's. I think the same goes for. Uh, I think it's. It's good to have a basic understanding of, of cosmetics if you're if you're a prosthetic artist. Understand just a, a basic makeup, and most of the artists I know have. But um, in LA, you start off once you're in the union. Depending on whether you choose makeup or hair, they're very separate. You have to decide which which category you want to uh, um, work towards. Once you're in the union, you start off as a trainee. And eventually, after taking a certain uh, number of courses, you can elevate to a journeyman. But what's expected of a journeyman makeup artist is, you know, hygiene, uh, straight makeup, beauty makeup, prosthetic makeups, sp- uh, basic special effects, men's grooming. Um, it's, it's really sort of the full spectrum. Obviously, you'll have areas that you gravitate towards, uh, an area you're more comfortable with. You know, certain artists get booked for their fantastic uh, prosthetic paint jobs etc but um, having um, to be a journeyman you really have to have a, a basic mastering of, of all the skills be good with your hand-laid beards be good with your bald caps mm-hmm. um, good with your prosthetic
0: application and good with a with a basic beauty makeup mm. i think all those things are playing because then you're far more versatile you know you can be you could be employed to do a makeup and then we don't have to get a separate hair person in because you can do the hair. you know and that that, that's a good asset to have. And I think that's something a lot of people probably miss when they pitch, sort of cherry pick what they think they need to know in order to get on. And you may know, like you say, very good about noses and be terrified of hair, and that's fine. But you have to understand that if there's someone who's applying for the job who can also dress wigs and sculpt just as well as you, they're probably going to get the job because, that, um, especially when things yeah. get quiet, you know, you can meet. there are a lot of people I know that do like theater wigs and stuff, and that might tie them over until you know, other things pick up or whatever, but it's yeah. just incredibly versatile. Or you're doing a, like a werewolf or something, you know, it's like, you know, that, that's as much hair as anything else. So it's like, yeah, you know, so you,
2: you, you want to be good with your Marcel irons in your oven and, uh, and you know, know some of the old school techniques. I mean, just just because we have uh, changes in, in the products doesn't mean any technique becomes completely obsolete. Mm. So, um, I mean, I know plenty of people, they, they can do a good lace beard, but when was the last time you hand laid one? you know on background when you, you can't necessarily afford lace pieces for every
0: cowboy you got to get in there and you know do a decent beard by hand yeah and also when you see it done it's like oh my god that's just gorgeous or oh, just okay. bringing sideburns down to kind of cover an edge or some you know just from purely practical um uh, utilitarian purpose you know being able to do all those things and bring them in because you know how to do them is a good thing to do
2: yeah, you never know when, that when you know, having those skills
0: in your, your bank of knowledge, when that's going to pop up. Mm. I mean, I think the other thing about prosthetics as well, I mean, if you're dealing with like a character makeup that involves prosthetics, obviously the whole point of a prosthetic really is to not look like it's a piece of rubber. It's got to look like skin. So obviously knowing how skin looks and how it fits in with everything else is also a thing. And when we did a, uh, a blog post a little bit about it, but like different things to do with silicon, that's not just the sculpting the texture there's also the translucency and the finish and the sheen and all that kind of stuff and those are kind of difficult to quantify qualities that skin has but again if you're used to working with skin there are things you can bring across i guess they're kind of transferable so if you don't have that training even though they're not prosthetic skills they can have a massive influence how well you could do rubber stuff so that's good yeah to be able to do that
2: no absolutely um You know, I I mean, I feel like my favorite makeups I've done are makeups where you you can't tell there's any makeup involved. Mm -hmm. You know, you want it to be seamless and invisible. You want it to disappear. I I mean, I would say whatever I'm doing, unless it's an alien or some fantastic fantasy creature... You want it to look like it's in the skin, not on the skin. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, from knowledge of, of
0: painting and layering. Can you think of any significant events in your life with regards to makeup where you had like massive shifts, like you did something where you go, holy shit, I get this now? Or uh, I'll give you an example. For me, when I was at college, um, we did, uh, in my second year, I think it was, or the third year, we had to sculpt a full size human figure. So we had a model come in and we sculpted and we had to make the armature. We had to weld the armature up, and obviously you find that the arm isn't the right place. You had to change all that stuff. And then we sculpted the whole thing in wet clay, and then made big plaster molds. And I remember sculpting, and there was a point where I was sculpting the fingers and the skin around the nail, and I suddenly, there was like a moment where I could feel something in my brain shift where I was like, I get it, because the skin's got it around the nail, which goes underneath. And I started doing all the nail, and I did them quickly, the first one because it sort of clicked and i'm and and from that point on whenever i'm sculpting things it's like oh i know where to go i know i don't necessarily know what it looks like but i know where to go to find the things i need because i know where i'm supposed to look um so it's something like that so have you had any kind of experiences where you go oh shit then having done that i now get this and even though it doesn't mean i know all the answers i know where i should be looking to find them if that makes sense
2: yeah. Oh God, I'm trying to think of of concrete examples. Sorry, i put you on the spot, isn't it? No, no. I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'd almost have to look at uh, look at pictures of makeups so I've done, and then suddenly say, "Oh, that was that." Um, but, but I, I'm well aware of having those shifts, having those moments, um, having a job where maybe I apply makeup three times, and on the third time, I'm like, oh, "I should have been doing this all along." And then the next job, when I'm doing a similar makeup, it's it's changed everything, and I'm. I'm I'm doing this method so I it's almost like I can feel myself evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of of concrete examples I mean I definitely remember where I got to a point where I think it was once I started doing uh, pro bondo transfers and the acetate transfers um, I wanted to keep makeups as thin as possible mm-hmm. um, I was I was aware of over sculpting something and and uh, you know making something unnecessarily unwieldy on a face. So uh, suddenly everything I did, I wanted to be as paper thin as possible, only, you know, embellishing as much detail as absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a shift where suddenly I felt like I'm using a third as much clay as I used to for the same
0: type but of it makeup. It still gives you the change. It's weird, isn't it? Because you do yeah. see that a lot where people are starting out, they make they tend to make things far too thick. And Because it- I know, um, you know, when I see uh, sort
2: of a student portfolio, here's my final... Uh, advanced prosthetic project a lot of times the head is is massive it just there's a like almost a marshmallow effect Mm. that happens like well i'm doing something in foam so i'm going to use a lot of foam and suddenly you have a you know a piece that's an inch thick all around and it's it for what it is it doesn't have to be that thick yeah so so i think maybe there's some some fear in in a less is more approach to it you know can i can i go
0: this thin and still make it as theatrical as as uh uh, fantastical as i want it to be yeah i think that that is probably a product of like particularly with makeup schools if you don't get a lot of access to a foam oven or a mixer or whatever you know when you get your one opportunity to do it you're going to oh, really you know and it's like like drinking for the first time you just drink like a big bottle or something that's really not advisable and then over time you develop a taste for single malts but you don't come out of the womb like that you have to kind of you know pile it on heavy so i think it's about repetition isn't it and i think that's a good thing about small makeups is you can do small pieces yourself for not a lot of money um, and that doesn't mean it's a lesser thing. It's more a case of, yeah, but is it effective change and it looks good? Then that's the thing. It's not about how much, you know, rubber you can pile on someone's face. Because I guess the other thing is people want to in, inflict themselves on something. They want all of that to be them and their work, you know. So they put as much of it as they can on. And actually, like you say, after you've done it, you kind of go, mm, kind of, it's too much, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, is well, I
2: think there's a fine line between, you know,
0: um, something that's
2: obviously... A makeup done for a makeup demonstration and a character, mm. and I always want to get to that point where I, I can suspend disbelief and for a second this isn't makeup. I don't. I'm not looking at oh that skin illustrator and Telesis and this. I'm looking at wow that's that's a ghost. That's an alien. That's mm-hmm. that's something.
0: Yeah, that comes into a real mastery of the material. I think where you don't. None, none of your brain is thinking how to do it you're just thinking about the finished thing and yeah you know you look at something like Duncan Jarman makeup or a Mark Coulier makeup or something like that, you're going to go, oh fuck then you know that <laughs> none of the process was taxing for them really it was all about character making it look right but at no point were they thinking how do I sculpt how do I make molds? how do I do this it's like it's just about making the character tight and correct and finished yeah that's awesome. Have you seen some of those Suspiri makeups? They look oh, I, I, I saw out. it when I was in LA. Uh,
2: I had uh, I had nightmares after watching that. But Beautiful <laughs> makeups, I and mean, especially the the death, the sort of uh, layering, almost like the black parchment. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty fantastic makeups.
0: We should probably do like a list of makeups that we were referring to because the other thing I was thinking of was the Charlize Theron makeup from Monster. You know, again, that mm, was yeah. not an overly done makeup. A lot of makeup, but it didn't look like makeup and. I don't even think there are any prosthetics in it. I think it was just teeth and layers of colour and stipple and the wig. And uh, it was just like build up that character. But it's, it's, that, it's trying to get a lot out of not a lot, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like you say, not absolutely. a lot of thickness. Particularly, I guess, with, with the cameras now. They're so good. They pick up everything. You almost, you know, less is more. But it, it, it's wow. harder to do less because it requires a subtlety that takes a lot of practice to get right. Well, I was, I was lucky. One of my instructors at Delamar
2: Academy was Tom Smith. Mm. And he, I, he was so sparing with prosthetics, if at all. I mean, maybe the odd um, eye bag or, or nasal labial fold and nose. But, I mean, Gandhi was, was all paint. Mm-hmm. So I was so inspired to see these makeups he'd done just strictly paint oh jobs. God. The same thing with the transformation and Michael Caine's character in Sleuth. I mean that was always done very theatrically with sort of a pull off Scooby Doo mask and his was all with 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 makeup old school hair and and teeth and I I challenged myself I mean I was lucky when I, I did some of the whites on um, on Game of Thrones we might have a couple prosthetic pieces you know maybe the uh, the the eye sockets and and a nose bridge but I might try to add a third or fourth piece that was just paint but that somehow fit fit the scheme so basically um two-dimensionally matching the prosthetic pieces on another part of the face. Mm-hmm. just And just so, so you could look at this makeup and see, okay, how many prosthetics are on there? And you could say, oh, well, two. Nope, it's three. You didn't even notice that this was painted rather than sculpted. So if you know, if you can seamlessly get there, um, that's a lot of fun. It is. You know, is, is, it, is more.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the Tom Smith quote because I remember, I don't know if you recall, when uh, I think it was Temple of Doom came out. Um, and there was a book that came out, uh, would have come out in all the bookstores, I'm sure. And it was, it was like the making of, and it was just about behind the scenes stuff. And I remember reading, uh, they had like little punch out quotes. And I remember there was one from Tom Smith about makeup. And I remember the quote went something along the lines of, um, one really shouldn't notice the makeup at all. And that was then, I mean, that was, yeah. you know, and it's just like, and and then at the time I was about 10, 12, I, you know, I didn't really understand because all I remember seeing was like the Amish Puri kind of, you know, the, mm. the big head, you know, the paint job and all that kind of stuff. But of course there's so much makeup you don't really even notice. You just see someone looking tired or distressed or flustered or worn out and you don't realize that they're not at all. You know, they're just, yeah, that's makeup. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, you know, it's, it flies under the radar. It, it, and it's, yeah,
2: it really is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, for every 10 characters he made up, you might only notice that one of them had anything memorable. Mm-hmm. And, but they're, like you said, it's, it's all made up. Yeah.
0: There's nothing on there that's um, nothing by accident. Well, I think that's the magic of makeup, isn't it? Once you can use it, you can start having fun with it and doing all these creative characters. And it's, it's like what a makeup designer will do, isn't it? Yeah. Is how can we, you know, read a script and then break it down and, oh, this guy's been up all night, so he needs to look tired. How do we do that? You know, is it a little bit of red under the eyes, a little bit of sweat, maybe his hair is slightly lank, and you may not even notice that's been done. But it's like that's makeup, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: some of my favorite makeups are incredibly subtle, yeah. and maybe even you know cheesy and dated by today's standards. But uh, you know, I think of iconic images that sort of got
0: burned into my brain, and sometimes mm. it's 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 such a minimal amount. Yeah. To convey a character yeah but also doing it, uh, over like a lot of periods I'm trying to think again like that a lot of the, the uh, Raiders movies and stuff where you know that, that bit where he they're having that big tank chase is it Raiders that one I think it's yeah it's in Raiders cha- the big tank chase where is it the tank was um, Last Crusade Last Crusade think at think the end yeah thing. I think it was yes it was and you know and everyone's covered in dirt from the, the stuff and like dirtying <laughs> down is one of those kind of skills yeah. where it's you know someone's come out of an explosion you don't want it to look like Something out of, a you know, the 70s, two Ronnies kind of sketch. <laughs> you know, it, it's got yeah. to look like they really have been dirty. And again, if it's done right in the context of the story, you don't notice it, but you'd notice its absence. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of because of that, it doesn't really get that same recognition, sweat and dirt, without looking too much. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of subtlety. It's quite, it's quite and,
2: nice. And maintaining continuity for yes. any kind of any kind of breakdown in dirt. That that's There's an art to that. Yes. Because you got <laughs> to do that tricky. again,
0: but maybe in a week from now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I, I've had situations where actors, they, they assume they're helping production. Here, I'm just going to reach down, grab some dirt off the ground and rub it all over my face. And now they've rubbed my makeup off, rubbed off the expensive fake dirt that's on there and really gotten nothing more out of it. Maybe they've agitated their skin on top of that. Yeah, you yeah. have to tell them, no, no, just...
0: It doesn't look You're fine. I yeah. appreciate the effort, but... Thank you. But, yeah. <laughs> Leave it to the pros. Yeah, because it's that thing of, like, you know, uh, the um, just the way things are shot. If they're shot out of sequence, like, they you know, they're, they're you shooting on location, they got mud splat in their face, then they go into a tent, and now, three weeks later, we're in a studio, that mud splat's going to be in the same place and it must not look like it's painted on so yeah. it's like you know <laughs> and I've
2: done that whole bit where you have a, a grid mapped out and you're matching dot for dot blood spatter that you know shooting two weeks after the initial head explosion or something yeah so somebody's got blood
0: on their face and it has to match dot for dot. Yeah, And people go, how is that difficult? It's like, yeah, but when you see a continuity error, especially if it's your error, you're like, oh my God, this thing's 50 foot across the screen and yeah. you know, the blood splats on the other side of their face now. <laughs> and it'll live forever yeah. on a, a website of some nerd who's like, no, actually I'll see in scene <laughs> I
2: know. And, and I've been in situations where um, I had a designer, telling me this one character it's going to be like a bond villain and badass and there's going to be a scar on the eye and this that and the other and it was for television and it was a driver like a a driver for one of the thugs whips around the corner in a jeep you never see it right and i'm just i'm thinking well we'll go ahead and do that but you gotta know when when to bother that i mean there's there's no way you're going to see the character so yeah yeah. Um. you know Um. make it a meal when it's when it's it's there
0: but not not every background can't be a hero yes yeah you just got to blend so, in yeah i'll send that with uh with supporting artists as well you get like a group of people who are i'm trying to think like in the mummy or blade 2 where you got like hundreds of extras and they all want to have a signature move so that they can recognize themselves when the movie comes out. But they're all supposed to be, like, under this influence of something, so they should behave the same, but they don't want to. And so you end up with, you know, 60 people all doing something unique so that they can pick themselves out of the crowd. Yeah. And it's like, it shouldn't be like that. And you don't want that with the makeup as well. It's like, the whole point of what you're doing is to blend into... You've got to slot into <laughs> the existing, you know, yeah. package, rather than stand out, because... <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, you're reminding me specifically. I think more than once I've heard about um supporting artists being removed in post because dressed as a zombie, they decided to do the thriller dance and
0: Yeah, not good. They're
2: not the first one that's attempted that and that instant red flag. Yeah. No longer in the picture.
0: <laughs> and I guess that temptation is like, Oh, it's my one shot, my one time to do this. So it's like, Yeah, but they're not gonna they're not going to stand for that. Have you any idea how much this is costing? <laughs> no.
2: no, especially on, on a lot of the, the period epics. I mean, um, I've worked on stuff where it's got to be, you know, 1882 Old West, and you're not allowed to have blue nail polish. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just how it is. Or we're not going to do a shimmery, smoky eye. And you do a period authentic makeup, and somebody, supporting artist, goes to the restroom, does their own makeup, and then they end up on set wearing something contemporary. Yeah. And, you know, they'll be the first ones removed from set. Red flag, can't have this. You're ruining the authenticity of our project. But yeah, again, yeah. They, they want to stand out. They want to be remembered. I'm the girl with the blue nails.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, if they can have their time again, they'd be like, oh, I get it now. I'm being stupid because this is just about me. And it's, that's kind of what we were saying, like, about the makeup thing is like you've got to know how you do your thing how it fits into this machine you are a part that has got to slot in and you can't be the bottleneck that breaks it down because the machine won't like you they'll just spit you out and get a replacement so you have to conform and it it does seem to be an interesting uh, experience the first few times or if you see someone that you know hasn't been on set on set you know i guess in a way they go through that kind of like unofficial screening process about, I mentioned earlier about like, I know you probably wouldn't get on, so I'm not going to ask you whatever, or maybe stay in the trailer, helping out whatever. But there, there is that thing of like, there is a certain level where you can go pretty much anywhere in the world. And the crews behave the same way because they're all doing the same kind of work. And they, they know they have to fit in and they know they have to have uh, quite a capacity to accommodate other people's ways of doing things and not let them get in the way of it which is not something that's got anything to do with makeup particularly. (laughs) and may not even be taught in a makeup school because those are rare, not rare skills, but for everyone that can put a lipstick on, you show me 10 people that can do a great job, half of them drop out when they get shouted at, another half don't want to do it at three in the morning. Then they've got a stomach ache because they're filming on a location where there are horses inside. And you know what I mean? Suddenly you start dwindling down to a unique skill set of being able to do all that shit and yeah. most of it wasn't on the flyer of the makeup school because that didn't sound particularly appealing. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah, naturally, one of those things I'm saying, I'm imploring, if you intended to work on TV and film, please understand. <laughs> There's that's, more to it yeah. than you realize. <laughs> well, that's,
2: that's why you know. I, every, every once in a while I'll teach a course like Script to Screen where it's it's basically a week of etiquette, a week of everything that happens between your final project in school and now you're on a film set. Can you make the transition? Do you know how to read a call sheet? Uh, uh, Budget breakdown, makeup test, continuity. um, Yeah, just basic etiquette unsaid. Do you know not to talk while we're rolling? That sort of thing. Yeah. I think sometimes stepping unsaid can be a rude awakening. You learn some lessons the hard way. Mm. Um, I mean, one of my favorite experiences this year, I was working on a project and we ended up in a situation where there just weren't enough prosthetic artists available. There were so many projects going on. So I was asked, do I know anyone who would be good? And I was able to find, um, a, about a dozen former students that really needed some experience. And I knew could handle the project and sort of get them in. And it was sort of like, you're, you've gotten to this point, but this is your final lesson. Here's your station. Here's what we're doing. You have 30 minutes. Um, then an actor going to sit in your chair and it's go time. And, uh, the next day the one of the supervisors said your your people were really good they knew what they were doing and I was just I was so proud I thought well yeah, I okay. wouldn't I wouldn't have vouched to them if I didn't think they, they couldn't handle it yeah. but it was just so nice sort of being there to, to, to literally oversee and uh, and guide these artists that were just starting out on their their first 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 real
0: big production set yeah that's fantastic I mean the thing is you knew them from the course that you taught and it's it's quite a delicate area isn't it when someone wants to be like you may get a you know a resume through or if you need anything and it's kind of like you know i've had resumes from people where i'm going there's no way but you know just courtesy means i can't tell you that but maybe you need to hear it yeah But, but it but it i'm just saying to you it's just worth you know knowing that this is the case that there are people out there who are qualified yeah well <laughs> who are not employable but they've academically they've ticked all the boxes but they're just not suited to the nature of the work and again not I know. every makeup school is going to tell you that on day one because you'd minimize how many people come to your door right yeah. but uh, and i
2: know plenty of sociopaths that have beautiful cvs <laughs> so you really need to be careful you, you have to know who you're dealing with mm. and i what i what i would what i'd want to emphasize to a lot of students is Working instructors, are we're always looking to see who's who's got it, even if it's just for our own sake to know who's going to be able to step onto a set and and make it and understand this world. Mm. And if I'm in a classroom and I see somebody taking a, a tea or fag break every three minutes and um, maybe hasn't brought their reference material for their paint job or just doesn't have a clear vision and doesn't understand how important that their time management is, mm they're not gonna impress me, I'm not even gonna register, I won't necessarily remember their name a year from from then. But if I see somebody really going above and beyond, I mean an example is I, I when a, a student I had briefly was doing an advanced prosthetic and a beautiful alien sculpt and I looked over to the side and there was a zombie and I said, what's this? Oh, well I had some more time to to work on a project so I made another one. So they they somehow found the time to make not one but two projects. Mm-hmm. And then at one point they asked, we were talking about the paint job and I suggested there was some white incorporated into the paint and it, it felt um, a bit flat to me. So I said, just doing a bit of color breakup, a wash of blue spatter is gonna make a world of difference, give you more of the effect you're going for. Half an hour later, I came back and they listened. They would not only followed my advice, but could see the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. So little things like this, I was just making a note. And then when the time came to... Um, throw some names in the hat, people we needed. This was one of the first people I called because I saw they, they have the discipline. They're
0: not wasting the time. They, there really is a drive here. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's interesting, so, isn't it? You see that, especially if you have a class that's reasonably not large, but like you might have sort of six or 10. So you've got a group of people and then you'll see exactly that. You might go, okay, tomorrow we're going to do such and such. So bring in some reference pictures of old age for wrinkling because we're going to do that. And there'll be two or three people that didn't do it. They didn't get the reference pictures. And it's no great shakes to go print some off in the office now or whatever. But the fact that it didn't stay with them and then somebody else sort of brought in a book and they'll have done like 50 and a bunch of things that they'd had from before. And it's kind of like that stands out, you know, and when you've got a class of six or 10, the fact that most people, you know, if you're going to do a top trumps, you know, of people in that room, you could go through and you kind of go, well, you're the one that was always late and always left early and didn't practice and did, you, know, you, you keep adding these things up. They yeah. all become like, and then a job comes in. You kind of go, well, I, the thing is when you take someone on, like you did with those students you took on, you kind of roll in the dice damage that could cause. And if you know for a fact that someone's not pleasant or doesn't turn up on time or doesn't do their thing, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to ask them yeah. as, as cruel as that is. It's true. It's like reputation is going to be built on this. I can't.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, if you turn it into a social hour, if it's just a big party, if everyone, you know, just getting on, having a giggle, that can be a detriment too. You really have to know, again, read the room, know the, the the attitude. You know, there's a time to be serious and there's a time to have fun in the pub later, but mm. you you have to buckle
0: down. You know, you can't be just having a chat when it's all hands on deck and we've we've got a deadline. Mm. And there are definitely times, especially on set, where, you know, you've done your makeup and maybe they're not being used for a while or in between takes and there's a lot of downtime. But And maybe, you know, you know someone that's the time to be sociable, but you've got to be on point and... You know, start yeah. the day right, especially with prosthetics, because you know if you don't stick them on right, or there's air pockets, or there's wrinkles, you'll be chasing those things all day. And it's like you got to get it done right at the beginning, and Absolutely. then kind of half your brain is always watching the rubber all day long from a distance. Wait, you know, what oh, they're about to eat, and you know, did yeah. <laughs> so I tell them not to eat fried chicken? You know, <laughs> kind of stuff. Absolutely. have a straw. You know, <laughs> and,
2: and, but I really think so much of it is also being able to take direction because you may be a better artist and have a better vision for the way a character should look, but ultimately you're not driving the vehicle somebody else is in charge and you have to be able to follow their vision Mm -hmm. Um, unless you're the designer it might be a change that you disagree with but it's not your decision to make yeah so that's why um, every chance i have i will i'll make a suggestion um you know um, a constructive suggestion to a student when they're when they're doing a makeup just to see how they handle i've thrown a curveball your way i've thrown a change your way can you how do you handle this? Are you going to get defensive? Are you going to cry? Are you going to um, do it without thinking about why? Are you going to constructively incorporate it?
0: Mm. That'd you know? be very good thing. That's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah,
2: I I find that, and and it's never in a way that's going to completely change their look, but always something that I found I might be faced with. If I'm on set and I have a designer say, I love that, but can you do some more breakup here? Can you do this? You haven't changed the look completely, but they're just, they're getting it more in the direction it needs to go in. Mm -hmm. So I will, I'll throw those out there. And again, it's, it's just a, just a, a learning moment, you know, for me, I'm learning how do they handle direction, but also for them, they're seeing, you may think it's a it's a thousand percent. There's nothing else that can be changed. But somebody's going to say, "But what if this? But what about doing this? Can you go with it?" Mm.
0: And I think I, that'll all come from um, you know doing it a lot. You know, repeating repetition, going through doing lots of makeups. And it, Absolutely. It, you know, which is hard. I think when you're at college because you're not on a production and everything you're doing is presumably coming out of your pocket. But it's very important to do things which is why i I still can't keep coming back to doing small things but well like a nose or eye bags or a mustache or little something just to make the changes it's about making the right changes but you have to completely saturate yourself in it so you know it back to front and that's when you start getting good at it because it becomes less effort to do it because your hands and your brain just know what to do which is yeah very true repetition you know so do something small and do it very well. Very true.
2: Well, and, and oftentimes I think you know your first job's on set. You're you're going to be faced with small character changes. You're not going to get the big, you know, eleven piece overlapping, uh, four and a half hour demon. Those are fun, but you might get the the pointed ears, mm. the the nose tip, yeah, the the
0: um scar through the eyebrow. How do you handle those? Yeah, and that's a very good point. I mean, those kinds of things like ear tips. You know, as soon as you elongate your ear. No two ears are perfectly level. You suddenly find that you've added another three inches. Now one ear's out here, and it's like, oh, you know, that's got to be tweaked or the eyebrow. And then you put your piece over the eyebrow. Oh shit! Now I'm going to put the hairs back. I don't want to take the whole eyebrow out. I just need to lay on a little bit of hair, and you know, and you can't use a lace piece for something that small. So you're going to lay hair on, or you yeah. can't hair punch it once you've applied it. So you know, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, one
2: of the things I always tell students is uh, try to think of five different ways to do the same makeup. So you might, uh, you might have your favorite paints, but what if those paints don't make it through customs and you're in the middle of nowhere? Can you use these paints? You don't have your illustrator, but you've got your grease paints. Can you make it work the way they did 30, 40 years That's ago? That's a great idea. Um, and I, I love those challenges because yeah. I love hearing the stories. I mean, Stuart Freeborn would talk about making the elephant tusks out of styrofoam yeah, cu- coffee cups. Yeah, yeah. cups and, <laughs> <laughs> it, or you know, um, Trevor Proud would would talk about making the the head wound out of jelly donut, you know, jam on location. Um, I love those MacGyver stories. I think back to being on a set once, and it was it was a forensic medicine type show, and there were there was a call for extra dead bodies just in the background, dead bodies in a corridor, and an artist said, "Well, I can't do those because I didn't bring my airbrush." And I'm thinking, "Well, get a." pancake makeup get some grease paint get a bag of flour it's just death get something but if you get so dependent on the one technique that you like the best yeah or that you learned on you're stuck if suddenly that doesn't doesn't come with you if that's yeah.
0: not in your kit yeah i found that way of thinking is probably a bit more common nowadays partly because of the way products are marketed not that there aren't good products but it's just if you happen to be at a college that has an association with a particular brand and so they get that particular makeup cheap. You end up using that almost exclusively. You kind of don't realize that there are other ways of doing it, which is why I got very excited when you said, oh, we'll try and do the makeup in five different ways. It's like, that's a fucking great, simple thing like that. But that's a great idea. Like, let's do this. Or, I love or, or, that. or break it down. How would you, on paper, how would you approach that in three to four different well,
2: ways? I think initially the reason I, I started thinking of that with that mentality was because a director asked for something that I wasn't prepared for. And the last thing I'm going to do is say no. Because yeah. somebody else will say yes. So suddenly I have to do a body paint and I've only got my, my, you know, tiny little illustrators, um, you know, maybe, maybe a half ounce bottle of a couple colors, but I've got my grease paint palette here. So I'm going to have to thin this and I'm going to have to cover more area and I'm going to make it look like that was my plan all along. And we're going to do this. We're going to get from A to B. No one's going to know. No one's going to smell my fear.
0: That's great. Yeah.
2: So I, I just love that challenge. I think so much of it is, is just kind of thinking outside the box and, uh, and just going with it you've got the same time constraint whether you have the right products the best products or not Mm -hmm. you are still going to get this makeup done brilliant piece of advice Um, I once heard from Michael Blake a, a retired makeup artist brilliant makeup artist in America he told me a story about being asked to do a makeup and thinking oh shit I don't know how this is gonna happen and saying give me one minute I'm gonna wash my hands so you've been asked to do something and you take a moment to wash your hands. It's in that moment you're thinking to yourself, you take a deep breath, and you figure out how it's going to get done. Then you step back into position and carry on. But to an outsider, you look like, oh, wow, he's going to wash his hands. Very uh, very hygiene conscious, that's good. And, and it comes off completely professional, but it's literally taking your oh shit moment and... Giving yourself a minute to gather your thoughts and then stepping back into it. Mm-hmm. So if it whatever it takes, if you need that I'm gonna wash my hands moment, that'll get you there. You know, it may come immediately or you may need that deep breath to think about it, but you'll you'll figure it out. And figuring it out, figuring out how the hell is this gonna happen, I think it those are some of my best memories of this job.
0: So there we go. That was Brian Kinney nice guy huh I
1: hope you guys were taking notes I, I I have to go back and listen to it again because there's so much stuff in there that I was clueless about
0: that's amazing it, it was it was a nice chat and I'm really sorry that it took so long to get around to get my shit together to actually have been having that out but um but there we go it's 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 done and it was a, an absolute joy and it hasn't lost anything in its year it's just weird we were together in the same room because he'd lived he'd moved not far from me um and Uh, popped over just after christmas and it's just so weird to think there was a time where you could have interviews with people face to face you could go around to people's faces
1: i want to get over there when when he's when he's there too because he's turned his garage into a pub
0: yes i hear so what you should do is you should come over here you can stay in the spare room um we've cleared it out now. This is the room I was telling you about with the, the sofas now, because yeah. we moved all the Lego stuff out. That was Jamie's Lego. I hasten to add not mine. <laughs> I wouldn't get rid of my <laughs> Lego. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so we've got a nice big spare space up there. So, uh, yeah, as soon as everyone can come over, you should get your ass over here. And then, yeah, Brian's like 10 miles away tops. So he's just down the road. So. Excellent. Hey, listen, I watched something really interesting. Um, over Halloween, I had a big, um, a uh, horror book binge. You recall a couple of episodes yeah. ago I was talking about horror books and I was listening to and listened to on Audible. I listened to Salem's Lot, which was an amazing book. I haven't read it, but I just didn't have time to read it. I'm reading a few books at the same time. So I'm also listening to books when I did go on drives or, you know, mm-hmm. go for my walks. So that was a really good book. I really enjoyed that. I recommend okay, I it. It. Uh, it was, I can't remember. I can, find it for you but it wasn't
1: stephen king
0: it wasn't stephen king although what was weird though stephen king did read a uh the opening bit which was weird oh, it was narrated by wrong ron, ron mcclarty m-c-l-a-r-t-y ron mcclarty um it's a really good book and then i read or listened to uh the exorcist and it was written by william peter blatty but this also is narrated by William Peter Blatty and he oh. did do a great job of uh, narrating it it was creepy and I haven't read The Exorcist so I listened to the audiobook absolutely loved it so last week I was thinking oh I wonder if there's anything good on YouTube about the making of it so I look up look it up on um on YouTube and there's a documentary called The Fear of God The Making of The Exorcist um and it's it's really really interesting and there's loads of footage because they shot quite a bit of behind the scenes footage and there's footage of dick smith oh, doing the makeup that because that's still
1: the scariest movie i've ever seen
0: it's it's, uh, my it's terrifying. terrifying it's my favorite well, I, I think the movie is good but i think the book does a better job obviously of telling the story because it was a book but it feels like the movie kind of was a bit hasty you know it kind of jumps quite yeah, harshly sure. from thing to thing to thing but um i think reading the book and then watching the movie is a good combination because you know the story mm-hmm. better and then you can enjoy the kind of visuals yeah. of it especially that bit when she comes down the st- stairs backwards like that uh, yeah that I, I
1: i watched i made the mistake of watching that at home by myself <laughs> donna was she she was gigging somewhere with her yeah, band, and, you... and I, when it was, I saw that on. Fuck me! I went around. I turned every light in the house on.
0: <laughs> you were hiding behind a Bible, oh watching a baseball bat. <laughs> I wasn't
1: expecting that. Have you yeah. read? Have you seen Cujo, or have you read Cujo?
0: No. Was it you telling me about it? That it's from the point of view of the dog. Yeah,
1: the plant, book. The book is amazing. Because okay, you're inside, you're be inside the head of the dog as he's going oh. mad from rabies. And it's so, so creepy and so cool. It's, it's really okay. well written. It's well, one of my, one of my favorite Stephen King books. The movie, was, the movie was okay, but the book is outrageous.
0: So one thing that is obviously... Different for everyone is depending on where you listen uh, one of the places you can listen to this is on YouTube and what's nice about YouTube is that you can uh, uh, leave comments um, and someone's got in touch. Darren Hartley got in touch and said, hi, Stuart, Lars Carlson, such a great artist. And he's Swedish from my favorite place, Gothenburg. Thanks for this podcast. P.S. Do people still use fixident when you have defects in your alginate to save an all clay cleanup when casting? David James told me about this when I went to visit him. Um, that's not something I'd done. So I'd, I said to him, no, I've not heard of that trick. That sounds really good. But have you heard of that?
1: Um, yeah, but it's, it completely left my brain. Uh, I've I've used it before to help stick the alginate to the plaster shell. You know, sometimes you get edges that'll that'll kind of lean in and flopping. Flop yeah, you, yeah. You can use the end uh, to, to help hold it together. You know, you can also super glue it. Mm-hmm. I've used but super glue it, it before to, to patch patch tears in the alginate with with fix-a-dent that's
0: a great idea right yeah i guess because it works well because it, it responds well to moisture because it's yeah. used in the mouth it's safe to get on the skin if you happen to do that and it's very very gummy i know from vampire fangs i've worn in the past that yeah. I help use fix agenda place that was horrible but um it's interesting because i think it's probably much cheaper than super glue. but also it it fills gaps so you end up with so when the alginate shrinks a touch you know, you can take up that gap it's it, you don't like with super glue, you have to have the alginate sticking to the plaster. Right. So if it's shrunk, you're stretching it out and stressing the glue, whereas fix a dent would actually fill that gap and it would hold it in place through suction. So even though that's not what he's talking about, he's talking about actually filling the holes with it. That's interesting. That you mentioned that yeah. because that feels to me like a more, uh, something I would do more often because I don't tend to cast limbs that often um certainly not with alginate big limbs and stuff i tend to do in silicon except hands i do like Mm -hmm. to do hands depends what it is but hands and feet i would probably do in silicon um in alginate sorry but like arm entire arms legs bodies whatever uh i tend to do those in silicone, which you tend to have more time with so you don't end up with air bubbles in quite the same way i think that's the thing alginate
1: alginate can be can be tricky i mean it takes There's a learning curve to to getting good at it because I think there are maybe one or two alginates that are out there now that will stick to stick together once alginate's cured. But it used to be that you had to mix it all at once because Mm -hmm. fresh alginate won't stick to cured alginate.
0: I think that wraps that up for this episode. Um, I'll just once again urge you to get in touch. We like to hear from you. We like questions. We love questions. Um, I had a couple of emails about, I get a fair few like um, uh, like college people and they, they want to do surveys and things, which is good. But we'd love it if you had questions that you want to hear on here, because that's something that we can build a, an episode around. So by sure, all means, don't can feel messages. like you can't.
1: You can message us on our Instagram page, Battles with Bits of Rubber. You can email us at Todd at gmail.com. Uh, you can find our Facebook page.
0: And you can leave a voice message as well.
1: Leave us a voice message, yes, on, on our website.
0: Uh, and I will put the links to that all in the show notes. In case anyone wondering, what I mean by show notes, is if you're listening to this on the actual website, that's fine. You'll find us on... Um, well, I mean, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you've already figured out how to listen to this. <laughs> but it's surprising how many people say, where can I find it? And it's like, well, it's on Spotify. It's on um, Apple Podcasts. It's on wherever you find podcasts generally. Um, but yeah, you can also I download it. Radio, you can stream it. It's
1: it's it's everywhere
0: everywhere so uh so 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 have a dig around but yeah on the website which is battles with bits of rubber.com you'll find obviously each episode that we upload is on there with extensive show notes because that way we put links in and things like that um but pictures in words, pictures and words. But you can also leave a voice message directly on there from the website. And if you're using your phone, obviously use your microphone over the phone. And you can just leave us a voice message and those are quite fun. So do some of that. But um, yeah, I think that's it. If you like this, please subscribe. If you have subscribed already, just tell one more person. If everyone that listens to this tells one more person, that doubles our listenership. That'd be amazing. We'd love it too. If we could. you could help us grow, that would be doing us a solid.
1: And it will result in world peace.
0: Would it make COVID go away?
1: I hope so. I'm I'm ready for that shit to be gone.
0: Yes. It's getting a bit much now. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some interesting stuff in prosthetics magazine about um, all the different artists, you know, well, not all, all of the artists, but a range of artists and how they have responded to the sudden amount of time that they've gotten. Yeah. Everyone's kind of keeping busy and doing stuff.
1: Well, Aaron Mekash actually has a Stan Winston class. I just saw a post about that this morning on, on the Stan Winston uh, oh, cool! Instagram page that she's she's got a class on how to deal with all of this COVID stuff. That I'm I think oh. I am going to go download that as soon as we finish.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well, mate. Well, Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure. Talk to you soon.
0: Yes, sir. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye, ma'am. Bye.
2: You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at Stuart and Todd at gmail.com check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media.
1: Thanks for listening.